It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny and this is my show. And today we are in the Tokyo Dome, home of Wrestle Kingdom, nights one and nights two. And to join me today to discuss these momentous events, I've talked about them enough this week if you've been listening to the Today At series on the Trooper News Show channel. Well, because I brought my friends with me so we can have a proper chat. So, will you please welcome Mr. John Dinsdale, Steel Chair Magazine. How are you, sir? I am not bad. We are talking about the only time I will ever be awake at 7am. Funnily enough. <laughs> two, two days a year, early mornings, and that's it. Yes, John is a moon tan kind of guy. And we also welcome, please, Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are you doing, sir? Doing okay, Gat. Glad to be back here with you fellas. I'm very glad to be back, too. I will, at this point, just mention the fact that I am a little subdued again because, unfortunately, my Auntie Margaret passed away today. But I will say this. Of what little platform I have here on the corner of the Internet, please keep your family and your friends safe. Don't go out if you don't have to. And please make sure that you are at home and looking after yourself. We've got plenty of podcasts to keep you busy. Our friend Christy from Wrestling Sexism has taken a break, as you may have noticed, because she's not been on any shows. And she pointed out in the time she's gone, the Troopini Show channel has released 292 shows since she was last on the channel. Between the Wrestling Rewind, the Today At series and the Troopini Show. So there you go. Plenty of things to listen to. Stay at home. Well, let's go to New Japan pro wrestling and night one of wrestle kingdom which saw the return of the much anticipated new japan rambo the four winners of this would go on to face for the king of pro wrestling championship the following night on night two the winners were indeed bushy uh, chase owens and bad luck farley and a guy who didn't even make it into the ring because he was the last person out just as they eliminated the fourth from the end person toriano um Obviously, we've talked before about Chase Owens not being exactly the best person to be in New Japan Pro Wrestling right now, but they have worse people. So, what were your thoughts on this, Marcus? I just looked at this as, you know, fun was had by all. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this was uh, not necessarily something I'm used to to seeing uh, consistently in a way in New Japan, but it was something that was different. And obviously, uh, the King Pro Wrestling uh, trophy has, you know, taken a life of its own, obviously. Specifically, being you know tied now to Yano, and uh, it was just cool to see these guys kind of get in there, mix it up, do their thing. It wasn't you know nothing serious. It could have probably been shorter for my taste, but you know, like I said, fun was had by all, and it was uh, cool to see certain things. I'm always intrigued by seeing Folly getting to mix of anything. So <laughs> I think it was fun. It was the story. It's all supposed to be out. You're right. It was just supposed to be mindless fun. Rambo's always are. Uh, for, for the reason why they call it a Rambo, it's actually Rambo, which means riot in Japanese, and that's pretty what it is. And as always in Japanese battle royals, pinfalls and submissions also count. John, what's your thoughts on this match? Yeah, this was pretty fun. Um, I was surprised at some of the names in it. You kind of just remember how many people aren't on the Wrestle Kingdom card this year. Just seeing Ishii, Suzuki, and a bunch of other sort of main eventers just in the Rambo. It was still fun. And I'm happy yeah. 
the fact Bushi was one of the four winners because Bushi doesn't get anything these days. No, you're absolutely right. And he's an exceptionally good, well-talented wrestler. He's had some serious injury issues down the years, and that's probably slowed him down, which is the reason why he doesn't get the long run with the championships he probably deserves. But he's an outstanding wrestler and a brilliant character. So, yeah. It just sort of gives like this nice mix of sort of winners because you had the Bullet Club guys being dicks, Douchey just directing them on how to throw young lions out, <laughs> and Yana watching from the sidelines after not having to do anything. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was just fun. But let's move on to some more serious business. The junior heavyweight division needed a number one contender, and Aroma Takahashi decided. The number one contender should be between the best of Super Juniors champion, Hiromu Takahashi, and the Super J Cup champion, El Fantasmo. They went for 17 minutes and 46 seconds of a match that was all right, but you got the feeling, obviously, that Takahashi was going to win. And secondly, they weren't really going at full bore for a lot of this match, and it showed. I also think... Phantasmo is quite there yet as a well-rounded kind of long match main event kind of style wrestler. So that made this suffer a little bit. It wasn't dreadful by any stretch of the imagination. You could accuse me of nitpicking, but it wasn't really what we used to from the junior heavyweight division at this point. John, what was your thoughts on this match? Yeah, I didn't really have much of an issue with this one. It didn't feel as long as it was. It went by pretty nicely, and obviously with sort of Takahashi pulling the strings, Phantasmo did his job pretty damn well. He was nice at being a dick without being offensive. And <laughs> yeah, he basically made Hiromu work his match after being kicked to a guardrail in the opening minute, which was bloody awesome. <laughs> Marcus, what did you think of this match? Yeah, I got I got to agree with John on this as well. Um, I actually really uh, dug this match for for the story. Like you said, he really pressed um, as a Super J Cup runner. He really pressed uh, Takahashi, and it's not a lot of times that somebody can dictate the pace as much as he did for the match and really press Hiromu like they did. Like you said, it, it kind of obviously felt like where it was going, but the way to and I think it's kind of the story of a lot of these matches. You kind of in the back of your head knew the end result, but it was getting there. And I think they did a good job to tell a story that he might actually take Hiromu out of this. And and that's, you know, obviously kudos to both parties, but specifically Hiromu for selling, you know, that he was, you know, about to really be put out of a bushy a couple of times. So, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. I think they, the, the trouble is they telegraphed the finish because they spent so much time talking about the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and Aroma Takahashi, uh, you know, not being being the star guy and the, um, uh, Ishimori just isn't and they spend too much time on Takahashi and they don't present Ishimori and Ishimori is an outsider so they don't believe in him. Yeah. And I think they spent too much time on that in the build-up to make it believable enough for me for, to, that Phantasmo could win it. Yeah. I think he was. I, I don't. I think that's what made the match suffer. I don't think the actual match. Perhaps looking back at it, the match isn't really the issue for me. Is yeah. they spent a lot of time on things that threw you off. I mean, New Japan have done this before, and it's been a complete red herring. And then you've gone into the match and gone, oh, but this one wasn't that. This was clearly Takahashi was going to have the match with Ishimori, and 
So I, I don't think, but I do not think it was terrible by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think that it's suffered from build-up that said signaled a certain way, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. All right, then we'll move on to the next match, the IWGP Tag Team Championships. The Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatonga and Tangaloa with Giado, defeated the dangerous techers, Tai Chi, and Zack Sabre Jr. with Dookie. 19 minutes and 18 seconds. I thoroughly enjoyed this match. This was my kind of thing. I know it's not everyone's kind of thing, and judging by the cage match, actually the cage match users thought it was better than Hiromo versus El Fantasma. Uh, Big Dave, Uncle Dave, said no. He said three and a half stars compared to four stars for Hiromo versus Fantasma, which shows you where I am. I am with the masses, as it, as it were. Uh, <laughs> this was fun. This was just... This was an emotionally told match. Two heel teams, kind of Tai Chi and ZSJ are kind of faced by default in this particular environment, and it, they work well at it. It's a long while since either of them have worked any kind of face. This works well for them. And it was just the match it needed to be to tell the story of the tag team championships at the minute. The Gorillas of Destiny are the aces of the division. They get back to the top of their championship game they equal the record of Tenkoji with six world championships. And they're also the World Tag League champions, arguably the best tag team in the world today. And noticeably, out of all the tag team champions in the world, three of them are former Bullet Club teams. Just a thought um, mm. as we move in to 2021. Uh, I'm going to get to Marcus in a moment because I know it's his favorite tag team. So, John, what are your thoughts on this match? I enjoyed the match, but I was sad about the ending. What did you not like about the ending? Tai Chi took the pin. Ah. <laughs> to be fair, they, they made Tai Chi the bloody star of this match. Because he started yeah. off by being top dick choking everyone out, and then became the sort of beat-down victim where everyone was just willing him to life to tear his trousers off and kick Tamatonga <laughs> in the head. It was such a weird dynamic, just seeing people actually try to root for Tai Chi for once instead of just wishing he'd die. It was just... <laughs> and we saw the Iron Finger of Doom used on him yeah. instead of by him. It was just such a weird but such a fun match. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I, I like the match. I think it was probably a little flat on the finish. But equally, it was better than giving away their finishes as well. You know, it gives them somewhere else to go to. I don't think these two are done with each other. I think you've got a rematch lined up for new beginnings. And if Juice Robinson's fit, you can then play that off against Finn Juice for quite some time. That tag team division suddenly writes itself. And I think as well, I said this in the, the reviews I wrote for Steelshare this week, the heavyweight tag division is the hottest thing going at the minute. And for years, it was dead as a doornail. You know, it was like, ooh, who are Tenkoji going to wrestle again this week? And now it's just, it's cooking. There's great teams and they work well together. But of course, I should give the man his moment. His favorite team breaks the record or equals the record. What's your thoughts on this, Marcus? Gotta love GOD, man. Uh, appreciate John for reminding me that Tai Chi took the pin, which only makes this match that much better for me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, you know, I very much appreciated this match. High quality tag team action is, uh, you know, some some of the best stuff you'll see uh, in, in New Japan. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, 
uh, James. I don't think these, you know, two teams are done with each other. They had each other so well scouted um, and maneuvering. And, and I get credit where it's due. You know, like I said, when he's not doing the antics and, and whatever else he's involved with, in terms of shenanigans, Tachi is – he puts pressure on people. And Zach Sable Jr. is, is you know, a torment for anybody. So, uh, yeah, this was a great, great match. And I'm looking forward to see them kind of clash again. Uh, but yeah, God sets the record. Um, still, I will never get used to seeing a literal baby face Tama Tonga. But um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's just great to see them boys back at the top. And like you said, the division is hot as it's ever been. And I'm um, looking forward to see uh, who steps up because obviously, like you said, Finjuice, uh, you know, coming out of that tournament, they they got some scores to sell. You know? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the interesting thing for me is like there's so much to come from this division. I uh, last week, we were talking with Alex Edwards when me, John, and Alex previewed this, and Alex made the case for merging the junior and heavyweight tag divisions again. Well, not merging them, but well, not again, but merging them, uh, just having one tag team champions. And it's interesting, when we first started talking about that years ago, when the Troopany show first started, like six years ago, we were talking about it because the junior heavyweight tag division was the hottest tag division in the world. And the heavyweight tag division was lumpy, to say the best of times. You had Killer Elite Squad and some random guys. And now, it's the other way around. The heavyweight division is cooking, and the junior heavyweight division seems lost in translation, which we'll talk about on the next show. But yes, it was very, very good, and I enjoyed it greatly, as did everyone else, we think. So there you go. So, we move on to the IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion number one contender briefcase match which uh, was Toshi Kojima versus Kenta. Before this match, uh, John Moxley gave a pre-cut promo in the ring from New Japan Strong, saying the Pale Rider is going to return. We don't know when he will return. We knew because Tony Khan said he wasn't cleared to go to Japan or Wrestle Kingdom this year, so hopefully they will get him back uh, into Japan sooner rather than later. But this match was really, really good. And you don't expect it out of Kojima, but he's a big match guy. This is a former Triple Crown, IWGP, heavyweight champion, the most decorated tag wrestler in New Japan currently. He is a great professional wrestler, and this was a big reminder of how good he can be when he's given the opportunity to be that good. And it was interesting what Kevin Kelly said on commentary a couple of days later when he challenged Kenta. He was kind of apologetic that, you know, can I challenge you for this briefcase? And Kenta was like, yeah, of course you can. You know, you, you are a legend. Of course I will take you on. And he put in a legend-style match. He was not that far behind Kenta, and I thoroughly enjoyed this match. I really, really did. It just showed you how good Kojima could be, but also how good Kenta is. You know, Kenta's had a rough ride since he came to New Japan Pro Wrestling, but his match quality has got better and better the longer he's held that briefcase. And... I think because he's got something to fight for, and that's that's an interesting kind of dynamic for me. Uh, Marcus, what's your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I 100% agree with everything you said. Um, but it, <laughs> I think the ironic thing is the way you felt about um, the junior heavyweight match is kind of the way I felt about this in terms of it had nothing to do with the match, but it was just kind of the, the overall overarching narrative around it. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Kind of just waiting for for Kenta to get the pen, and this is absolutely no disrespect to you know Kojima, who is a legend, and like you said, put in a legend performance. But like you said, there's there's a bit of a spark that's kind of kicked up with Kenta, 
And, uh, you know, with this briefcase, and I think it's only aided by this, this, um, the storyline that you can't help that's been building with the the U- U.S. title of it now basically feeling like the wayward son of New Japan that's waiting to come home. And, you know, Kenta's kind of just having to do everything he can until that time where he can finally face Moxley, which I think is the ultimate, the, the chef's kiss. Well, this which is why I like Kenta's not going to lose here because, you know, no matter what happens, Kenta and Moxley just have to meet. So um, the match was great, uh, but, you know, Kenta... You know, he's he's that guy, you know, and I guess hopefully we'll finally get to the match before 2021 is up. So, you know, <laughs> John, what's your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I had no real problem with this match. It was fun to watch, easy to write about. And yeah, whilst the winner was predictable as hell, it it was just nice to see big match Kojima. Like, you forget how good he is until he comes along and lariats someone in the face and reminds you. <laughs> it was just a nice kind of, not so much, it was just fun after the sort of really gritty, evil tag match that had come before it. It was just kind of like, mm. right, we've had two evil teams, now let's have one clear good guy against one clear bad guy that are just going to beat the living hell out of each other. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the issue, isn't it? It's the... Um, yeah, it was just... It, it's well-paced, this show. I think that's the, another thing. There's plenty of take-a-breath moments without everything getting too heavy, but everything matters. You know, it was also small stuff like Kojima looking down to Tenzan for guidance, and that's something Master Wato can learn from. There's no point in having Tenzan in your corner if you just ignore him for 20 minutes. You know, Kojima looked down at Tenzan, Tenzan gave him the nod, call the play. You know, he's your second. Take his advice. That's a good story. Of course you're going to listen to Tenzan, former IWGP heavyweight champion, former triple crown champion, you know, he's the guy, he's, that. that's part of the story is, they, as Christy calls them, wrestle husbands, you know, <laughs> and that's the important part for me, it was like, this is a good story to tell, and of course Kenta's going to win, because he's younger, not that much younger, but he's younger, and he's and he's fitter, and he's been at the top of the game for a lot, lot for a longer, more recently, but yeah, it, it does make sense, it was a much more complete story, I would say, than the junior heavyweight match. But yes, it was good. So that moves us on to Hiroshi Tanahashi and Great Okan. 17 minutes and 13 seconds with Tanahashi taking the win, which again was probably predictable, but neither of me or John or Alex could really call a winner in this one because we kind of went with, well, the kind of got to show some dominance. But what I did like about this match was that Okan came across as a killer. And he grew in that style and allowed that style to grow within his match. He's well into his character. He's selling his gimmick really well, but he's also growing as a performer. And you start to see how he's going to be a main event wrestler. And I kind of want to see how he's going to grow. So it was intriguing for me. And Tanahashi back with a great performance. He's been selling those knees for so long now, you forget that he's actually pretending. So so it was nice to see this. Great performance come out of Tanahashi, who saves himself for the right moments and was doing his level best to get Okan over, despite the fact he was going to win. And you can still get guys over, even when you beat them. And Tanahashi is an absolute master at that. So then, John, what's your thoughts on this one? 
I agree, but I also disagree. Like, it was a great match. Okan got a great performance. Tanahashi went all out to make him look like a monster, but Okan needed the win. Like, the second Okan lost, Twitter was kind of just like, are we supposed to take him seriously? He he comes across as a dominator and then just loses. It, it, it doesn't sit right with me because they get, like, Rev Pro did their absolute best to make him this monster. He went undefeated the entire time he was there. He comes back to New Japan and just continuously loses. It's, it's not a good look. And, like, even if you want to make the Jay White comparisons, like, oh, he lost to Tanahashi on his first wrestle So, Jay White was there to become, like, the sort of chaos traitor. What's Okan meant to do apart from be Will Ospreay's right-hand man? It... It feels like right now they're just spinning their wheels with him to me. It's like, oh yeah, look how cool he is. He's not going to win anything though, so don't get that invested. I can understand what you're saying, but this has been like a long-term Japanese booking strategy which has got people over in the past. So I understand where you're coming from. But again, I think this is kind of like a lot of it is to do with still trying to give people the narrative that he's got to get better. He can't just come in and beat people. But I understand what you're saying. It's frustrating that he isn't making a bigger splash sooner. So, yes, I understand what you're saying. I don't. I think this match was very good for what it was, though. And I think Okan is certainly the best performance I've seen in it. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this match? Yeah, agree. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, it's interesting because if the, the goal was to get Okan over, you know, definitely achieve that specifically with me because I, I don't have the the viewing history of, of John with, with seeing him rise in Rare Pro. I've just kind of got to him when he's in uh, New Japan. So, you know, I've, I've been intrigued because the look and the presentation and everything. And I think putting him against guys like, Tanahashi specifically this match really got me intrigued and in seeing what he's gonna do but I do hear John about if you're gonna you know pull the trigger with a guy like that um you kind of do have to give him some significant wins but it's also like the overarching and the, con- the consistent Tanahashi narrative of you know he's kind of the guy that's kind of gonna get it done on this big stage specifically when you're expecting him not to because obviously you know the, the story of you know Tanahashi just like how injured is he this year like that whole deal yeah so, um, I, I get it from I get it from both sides, but it was a it was a solid match. I am looking forward to though, as John would say, like I guess seeing what they do with Great Ocon now because you know uh, fitting him in certain spaces. Like I think Tanahashi may be going uh, towards uh, other championship instances, and, and maybe that would potentially be more interesting with Ocon, but. You know, New Japan doesn't necessarily have a thing where they, you know, consistently do a lot of triple threats and stuff. So, um, it, it's interesting. But I, I did appreciate the match because it did get great O'Connor over for me. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. So, yeah, I think it, I, I, I think the, the jury's still out. But I agree. I agree. I understand where you're coming from, John, with the, the lack of forward motion for anyone in this match because it's still Tanahashi is still a wrestling god. So, therefore, it, it's... It, it's one of those matches results that comes about in the wash afterwards, I think, if that makes sense. Um, but yes, I understand where you're coming from with the frustrations of that. So let's move on to uh, 
Kazuchi Kurakata defeats Billy Nomates in 35 minutes and 41 seconds with his missus, as, the, as someone called it, which is a bit dismissive. I should re- rephrase that. With B. Priestley, let's say that properly. Um, in a match that was quite long. <laughs> uh, I, I know it, everyone went wild for it, but I didn't think it was as good as it, as it could have been. I don't know where Uncle Dave gets five and a quarter stars from. I think he's been drinking more than his coffee black to come up with that score, to be honest with you. I think it was all right. I know now, obviously, I am slightly biased because I'm a massive Ricardo fan and I don't like uh, Osprey at all. But it it told a story and it kind of shapes up Ricardo for the main event status, status where they've been implying he will be getting back to as the next big bad for Ibushi to face. So we'll see what happens. But again, it's not my particular tea because of one of the people involved. Marcus, your thoughts? Yeah, like, uh, you know, I historically never pay attention to, to uh, quote-unquote Uncle Dave because I just, I mean, it's not my flavor. If I like it, I like it. Don't really care if he does. But uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people kind of just like, okay, it, it went long and it's Okada and the Osprey, of course, it's going to be five stars. And, you know, um, we get a lot of that, that type of stuff in New Japan. But, you know, just looking at this match, I think I've seen them have, you know, better matches. Because this wasn't the first time they clashed, correct? No, no, no. They had uh, the anniversary show a couple of years ago. And yes. G1 this year. G1 was a bit of an odd match because it was obviously setting up the birth of the Empire. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I was saying to myself, like, I feel like I've seen this this match, uh, this, this lockup, if you will, done better. Um and also, again, another match with an overarching narrative. It's like, if I beat you, you're done. It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to retire Okada. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> they're not going to put in crappy performances in, in any stretch of the imagination. But, um, yeah, this this wasn't necessarily uh, a show stealer for me. But, I, you know, I did appreciate it. Uh, they are doing something different with Osprey. Uh, so I guess I could, you know, appreciate it from that perspective. But Okada... You know, like you said, it's moving back into the championship thing, and he kind of needs stuff like this to, you know, gears him towards that uh, that scenario. So, you know, it was good to see Okada get a great win on a, on a big stage again. Yeah, I mean, he didn't bury Osprey. That that was key because they, they just can't because they've invested a lot of money into Osprey. Um, yes. and so, God knows why, but they have. So, um, it's it was a narrative which showed how far Osprey has grown compared to the last time they wrestled each other and his new attitude and one thing or another. So there's plenty of narrative stuff there. Um, just not keen on him. John, what's your thoughts on this matchup? As much as I hate to say, I actually really enjoyed this one. It That's was, okay. It was the first <laughs> time Osprey's felt like a proper heel without just being a real-life dickhead. It's... Um, it was it was too long. I'll agree there. Like even I was sort of flagging by the end of it. I'm like, why is this still going on? Like, Cardi <laughs> should have won by now. <laughs> and then it went on to be longer than the main event. And was, yeah, it had some really great moments. We got to see this vicious side of Osprey, this vicious side of Okada. We got the return of the Rainmaker. Osprey made the money clip look like what it is, a useless finisher. And I just, a lot of it clicked, 
but I would have by no means said it was a five and a quarter star match. I don't know what Kool Aid bloody Melts is drinking, but he's mates with Billy Boy though, isn't he? <laughs> this was so... it was great. It worked pretty nicely as the sort of penultimate match, but definitely too long and it's it's Osprey, so it's always gonna be slightly detracted anyway because of his tarnished rep. Yeah. Even my sort of separating art from artist thing doesn't really work when no. it's Osprey. No. I did my my favourite joke from today was someone described the AEW reunion of Bullet Club is like Odeo Tai with eight B Priestleys. Which is yeah, yeah, that's proper. Anyway, no Tongans, no Bullet Club. Anywho, we'll move on to the happier times. Well, except for neck muscles everywhere. Katura Bushi defeated Tetsuya Nato for the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Championships. 31 minutes and 18 seconds of the most ungodly professional wrestling match you're ever likely to come across. To be fair, they went anywhere near as dangerous as they have been in the past. But this match was awesome. This was a truly great professional wrestling match and the kind of Wrestle Kingdom moment Ibushi needed to cement him as champion uh, the match went on and on and it felt like it was going to go on forever and little would we know what would happen the next day with a match that literally went on forever but this match felt like I could watch it all night and never, never tire of it it was just astounding just so, so good to watch and it cemented Ibushi as the main event star we all knew he could be NATO got to pass the torch in a very positive manner, and it's interesting to see what he'll do now. But he's had his year at the top that he richly deserved. And, yeah, it was kind of happy endings for everybody. John, what was your thoughts on this first main event? This was brutal. As I said, not quite as dangerous as it's been in the past, but it was still pretty nasty for the old neck. There were some spots that you just sort of looked at and you were like, why? Why would you do that to yourselves? So that um, apron snap runner was just exceptionally <laughs> cool. It was, just, it was one of those matches where you look at it and go, yep, that was a main event. It felt like a main event. It delivered the atmosphere of a main event. It just, it was wrestling done right. Especially yes. for what these two are capable of. And as you said, the passing of the torch moment just felt really good. There was no dickheadedness from Naito. He was literally just like, right, you beat me. You earned this. Go ahead. Yeah, it was the right thing to do. NATO's still a heel. Though, again, I wrote about this again this week. They're not as ungovernable as they used to be, are they? Because Sonata's really a baby face. And Takagi's really a baby face. And Naito's really a baby face. It's only Bushy who's really a heel. But even then, everyone was Bushy, except for Rocky Romero. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, they're not the, the, the red hot faction they were two years ago when it comes to being heels they're still the most popular faction in new japan and they're still the most beloved nato is still the most beloved wrestler in new japan um so it was the right thing to do without giving away any business mystique, i think as well marcus what's your thoughts on this match i 100 agree with everything you guys said like you said this was wrestling done right um and with the Still so going into this match and everything that was on the line and what NATO basically did to, um, to you know, set this match up. 
uh, you knew you was going to get a crack in the fan and, you know, it did that and then some. Uh, but I think, you know, even with everything that happened in this match, I think my favorite moment came when she won and he kind of was in disbelief and, and NATO, you know, was like, nah, man, you, you beat me, you got it, this is yours. And, and just seeing him pass that torch because in my mind, it's like, who can understand, you know, this moment better than Naito? Yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, everything he's gone through and and all the hurdles and the ups and downs and even with, you know, being screwed over by one of his own and then having to get that back and then Abushi always being the guy that's going to be the guy and then constantly being knocked off the perch and having to rebuild himself back up to get to this point to be knocked off by Jay White and then, you know, like I said, now, <laughs> a, a concession and putting him in position and then just letting, you know, the best man get it. And, and you know, like you said, just a phenomenal moment for Abushi. Well-deserved, long time coming. And uh, it definitely set up for night two. You know? Yeah. And it was a special moment for me as a fan. The first time I saw Kota Abushi was, well, 2011, King of Trios at the Raid of Olidors, which he won. And he was just special. You couldn't believe the things he was pulling off. And everything was perfect. And the fact that he stayed at that level for 10 years and grown from being into a top-notch junior into being a top-notch heavyweight is just outstanding. You know, you just don't get wrestlers like Ibushi maybe once in a blue moon. And he's, he's unique. He's no, there's no one I know that's like him. And he's kind of stressed that, that he's trying to be like this... Uh, Superbly, superfluously fluid wrestler that can adapt to anyone, and that's what you saw in the G1. Like Tai Chi's big on kicks, so we're going to have a match that's entirely made of kicks. You know that that kind of attitude. And he didn't really play Naito's game in this particular match. They just went big, and they went big yeah. for a long, long time. And these are career shortening matches. You can't do these very often. But to do it twice in two days, well, that's what he had to do. So we'll move on to the second day. Um, this was uh, this is the thing with the two night thing is the attendance on the second night, for reasons unbeknownst to me, is always lower than on the first night. So, like, obviously, this year's Tokyo Dome was very much reduced in capacity. I think last year they got forty five thousand in the building. And this year, they only put 12,689 on night one. But then they only put 7,800 on night two. So 20,000 people watched wrestling that weekend or those two days. But it just didn't seem... It, I don't know why the second night doesn't draw as much as the first night. I guess it's because, you know, this was two working days and everybody reserves January the 4th because that's Wrestle Kingdom Day. That's the day New Japan go to the Tokyo Dome. And historically, it was the day they signed the Dynamite Kid. You know, and New Japan's fortunes began to change on that day. So it's it's generally the fourth a special day for New Japan fans, and I think that's possibly it. But yeah, we'll see if that improves next year. Obviously, there were the dark matches we couldn't see because of contractual disputes between Stardom's TV company. Well, not disputes; they just can't show them. Uh, Queen's Quest, AZM, Asaya Kamitani, and Utami Hashiita defeated Donna Del Mondo, Himaki Makai, and Natsopo in 9 minutes and 48 seconds. And Julia and Sayuru, also Don Del Mondo, defeated Mayu Ritani and Tam Nakano in 12 minutes and 49 seconds. They were on the undercard. It was nice to see Stardom um, 
getting more exposure through their deal with Bushy Road. They've got that big show at Budokan in March, if that can happen, because we have this big issue, <laughs> which we'll talk about at the end of this particular show, uh, that being COVID. But the opening match for the full New Japan show was Toriyano retaining the King of Pro Wrestling for 2021. He defeated Bad Luck Farley, Bushy, and Chase Owens in 7 minutes and 43 seconds. The King is back on top, John. Uh... <laughs> Why? What's wrong? Of all the people to pin, it had to be Bushy, didn't it? Bushy gets well, the best showing of the entire match. Then he gets decked by Bullet Club and bloody pinned by Yano. It's like, yay. No. Okay, then. That's fine. But Yano won. Yay. <laughs> I mean, it's better than Bad Luck Fale winning it, but, like, just... I wanted something different. Like, have Bushy win it for, like, one show, maybe, and then just lose it. I don't know, just... Give Bushi something for once. I understand where you're coming from again, but it's not the way New Japan do things. That's that's it. This is clearly an entire championship built for Toriano. And the fact that he's probably going to sneak wins for the rest of the year makes me happy. I just hope so it was... doesn't get stale. It never does. It's Toriano. Marcus, your thoughts? Yes, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um... <laughs> This, you guys go back and forth. I'm like, just hashtag it, and make it trend. Uh, that damn Yano, um, <laughs> that damn Yano. Um, yeah, you know, only only that guy can win a match with a with a double low blow, and and then and then get a pin and get up out of there, man. Like even even not being the biggest Yano fan, I've I've grown, like I've said in the past, to, to appreciate. You know the shenanigans. If it, if for nothing else, to see him win in the back of my mind, knowing that it puts a Cheshire uh, cat-like grin on James's face, I'm like, <laughs> okay, just knowing that somewhere in the world he's like giddy about Yano, you know, doing it again, kind of does it for me. But uh, yeah, like you said, it's, I mean, it's, it's built around him. I 100% get John with, with Bushi. You know, he's one of the most underrated guys, and we've talked about this before on the on the thing, and hopefully. You know, something happens where, it, you know, one of these years or maybe even this year, he just comes out of nowhere and just, like, goes evil. But, you know, we, we actually like it, you know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, pull it for him down the line. But uh, I don't know what Chase Owens was doing. You do not go against Fale. I don't know. <laughs> that was a bad move, kid. All right, then we'll move on to the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. El Desperado and Yoshinubi Kanemura defeated 108, Master Wato and Raisuke Taguchi in 13 minutes and 20 seconds. Despi and Kanemaru are the best junior heavyweight tag team going anywhere in the world. I would love to see Despi and Kanemaru against the books. I would love to see him against Motor City Machine Guns. There is about four or five teams that I would go, ooh, that would be really cool. Um, Tell you, I'd really like to see him against Sasha Banks and Bailey. How cool would that be? That would be awesome. Anywho, yeah. Anywho, those these two uh, wrestled them too, and it was all right. <laughs> it wasn't dreadful. And Master Wato actually looked like the guy he could be. I think you, you, John's not going to right. agree with me. He was didn't blow any spots, which let's face it, during Best of Super Juniors he did left, right, and center. Uh, but I thought he looked more like a star than he could have been. And it's Marcus's turn, so you're gonna have to wait 
and and you can boil there and be angry under your breath because I know you've been waiting for this moment. So, Marcus, your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I'll make this quick John, because I, I think you cut out there for a second. Dan. We talked about Waddle, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the, the story of the match, like you said, it wasn't a stinker by any uh, any means, but, you know, the, the story here is like, look, you, you know, these – Desperado and Kanemaru are kind of the OGs at this point. You know, that, that chemistry, you know, sets almost a new standard for chemistry. Like, these guys are, you know, exactly what you, you know, go to when you think about, you know, well or machine. And, they, you know, they talked about it at the end of the match. They just, you know, um, they got beat by experience. You know, Taguchi was, you know, throwing as many hip, hip tosses, and not hip tosses, but hip attacks as you can. But it's like you kind of go, kind of need more than that. These guys are battle tested to say the least so um we'll see but let me pass it to john because i can almost feel him steaming from here <laughs> okay john would you like to talk about big match to gucci and emo boy <laughs> so i've just instantly got to disprove the fact that wato blew about three spots in this match <laughs> at least he, he looked good doing it he botched an easy 619 he missed two pin breakups and a heart tag he genuinely botched the entire flow of the match how the okay. hell did he not take the pinfall in this either i would have taken to gucci fighting single-handed with a face painted <laughs> on his ass as a tag partner over watching wato awkwardly maneuver himself through this match for the first maybe three minutes he looked good in it and then it just turned into awkward Wato does awkward things as Kanemaru and Desperado work to save the match. I would have taken a black screen saying, hey, you could have watched Stardom. Over <laughs> the entire time Wato was in the ring. It, I don't get where they're going with him because right now it's just like watching a toddler try to run the ropes. Wasn't he supposed to be good in CML? What? CML? Yeah, CML. He was, yeah. What, he, he what was a, changed? Have they just made the rope slippery to make him look like an idiot every time he tries to do something? He does have nice trousers now, which he didn't have before. Um, I think actually, as a as a rookie, he was certainly like the star of the class of his particular group of uh, young lions. He was easily a head and shoulders of everybody else. I don't know. I think it's just confidence. I think they've given. I think he knows. He's got a ropey old gimmick that doesn't work. And the last time I saw a guy like this was Koji Kanemoto back in the late 90s when he was uh, Tiger Mask 3. Or Tiger Mask... Yeah, Tiger Mask 3. And he was good as Tiger Mask 3, but he didn't have the zing uh, as Tiger Mask 3. And then he dropped the mask, and all of a sudden he became this god level junior heavyweight that was up there with Liger and Atani and uh, Eddie Guerrero and all these other guys. And I think that's possibly what you got to do with Wato is just like, cut this gimmick loose, start over and try and figure things out. Because his confidence isn't where it should be for a guy who is supremely naturally talented. I think we'll all agree with that. He has got all the things to make a good junior heavyweight in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but it's just not clicking for him, is it? Nope. No, it's, yeah, I mean, it's interesting watching him because he's got tools, but he, he's he's trying to, you know, you can actively see him trying to put stuff together um, and just kind of fit it. And, and maybe it's, 
you know, him, you know, potentially later down the line doing a faction, like you said, ain't 100% switching the gimmick up and, and doing something else, which we've seen work for guys in the past. But he's, he's got to find something else because right now he's kind of, you know, the odd man out. You know, yeah. doing interesting stuff, but it's just, it's not, you know, fitting kind of kind of like, I guess, the, the square peg and a round hole type of deal. I mean, Despy said it in a promo before in the build-up to this match, and that's what makes it interesting listening to New Japan promos is the fact they're incredibly honest. And he said that that Wato, he said, you know, you you could be great, but you're trying to be the jack of all trades, so you're the master of none. Mm. And and I think that's possibly he's just throwing the kitchen sink at everything he does, and yeah. it's not not cooking, it's not working. There's not something. He lacks intensity. There's no spark. All the big moves don't really get a reaction from the fans. That finisher should have people on their feet. And everybody goes like, oh, that's cool. Nobody's like, you know, he's got all the bits, but people don't care about him enough to make the bits work. It'd be 10 times better if he had a mask, because then people can't see how awkward he is. Yeah, I think, yeah, but I think that's the issue. I mean, as well, that's one of the problems Bushy had when he first started in New Japan, he was he was not he was not like perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He was a long way off being ready. Then he had the injury, came back as a heel, and all of a sudden everything clicked. It's like why, where was this guy before? Because he definitely wasn't wrestling the matches I saw. So yeah, I think he needs something to change. Desperado as well was very much the same way when he started as a babyface. They were, he was a baby face with the intention of turning him heel early um, because he was already falling out with the Hontai guys about three matches into his career. But he wasn't the confident performer that he is today. He was sketchy. He was all over the place. And part of that was intentional because they were trying to build a resentful character who had to find himself. But equally, a lot of it was just he, he was sketchy. And that's, that's, that's something they needed to fix. But yes, let us move on to other things. Otherwise, we can be diagnosing Master Wato for the rest of the evening. <laughs> Shingo Takagi defeated Jeff Cobb in an absolute barnstorm of 21 minutes and 11 seconds where they knocked each other's block off three or four times. This just descended into people being hurled about the ring. John, what was your thoughts on this wall? I'm pretty sure this was the best match of the sort of double bill for me. It was just big man violence the entire match, people getting thrown, people doing dives that shouldn't be doing dives, <laughs> heavy heavy lariats, heavy shots. It was amazing. This is by far Cobb's best match to date. Like This was a proper throwback to what people got to see in PWG when everyone sort of thought, right, we need to take a chance on this guy. And just, honestly, it was just the perfect match. I can't yeah. think of anything I didn't like. It's like you no, can make all the jokes about Cobb you want, but bloody hell, he came here to work, and by God, did he work. Oh, yeah, Shingo, this was... Sorry, Carol. Shingo is always going to put on excellent performances because that's all he knows how to do, but you gave him a motivated Cobb, and holy shit, we got one of the best sort of open-weight matches there's been in years. I think as well, it's representative of the division and what it means, you know, you go back in the history of the division, Makabe and Ishii, Ishii and uh, uh, Salashi and everybody, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, Ishii made this belt what it is. He made it the hard charges, that kind of strong style, big hit matches, 
I knew it was perfect for these two. I think that's what, I mean, we talk about, you know, they used to call um, ah, Kenta Kabashi the, the perfect wrestler because he was big enough to throw heavyweights around like Stan Hansen where he could wrestle a junior heavyweight and make it look believable. And I think Shingo Takagi has kind of taken that mantle of being the perfect wrestler. He can make junior heavyweights look astounding, but he can throw people around as well. I think that's what draws me to him. He's just one of those guys that can have a big battle or he can have a technical match. He can do everything and make everybody else look perfect. And he's the ideal guy to have in this position because he can take on junior heavyweights and give them a great match like show, or he can have a brain-busting match with Cobb and still look believable in winning. Marcus, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, man, everything you guys said, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, <laughs> I just feel like I'm uh, leaving my boy Goto Elvin the Desperate Shingo. The guy gets absolutely my favorite Japanese wrestler to watch. You know, like yeah. He is, a, like, really seems like just a perfect wrestler presentation, move set. Demeanor, you you name it, the guy has it. And uh, like, I'm not a smoker, but I, I needed a cigarette after this match. <laughs> it, was, it was that good. It was that good. I've not enjoyed Jeff Cobb this much since he was Matanza Cueto in Lucha Underground. And I think that goes to mm. what Don was speaking about, which was also a walking narrative that Kevin Keller was speaking about on commentary, is the intent. You know, this this malicious intent that he had going at, at Takaga, who is probably likely still suffering from the hell he uh, had to go through with Suzuki, uh, which, it, let's be honest, everybody is. But, um, yeah, I mean, this 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 was phenomenal. You know, this, and, and, you know, we got three great matches to talk about, but this really, I mean, they really kind of hit the bets and kind of just like, this this was to follow this match. Yeah, and, this is... Yeah. Yeah, this was like, oh, we've got three main events to go. And this was like, oh, my God, this is this is just like a meal unto itself. It, it kind of reminded me of like, uh, I was listening to Mark Rocco interviews, and he was saying like back in the 70s when he first started, it was when he got good, they put him second on, um, and the heavyweights didn't want him on their cards because they had to go that much harder to get, them, to get any recognition because... Mark would throw people into the audience and just like just run rings around everybody for 20 minutes and then bow, follow that. This this was like if you've seen the film uh Great Balls of Fire, this this was um Jerry Lee Lewis playing piano on stage at the Apollo, throwing gas lighter fluid into the piano, setting fire to it, and walking off stage and talking to Chuck Berry and saying, finish it, killer. <laughs> This was it. This was this was like, oh my god, they're trying to steal the show. Yeah, was, no, <laughs> no losers here. The fans certainly didn't lose, and he, even taking a pin, Cobb didn't lose because if they meet again, I really don't know if he's gonna lose. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, everyone's a winner, baby. That's what this match was. So we move on to the. <laughs> Sonada versus Evil, who were on an uphill struggle, to be honest with you, after that. Uh, but having said that, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this match because it actually told the story correctly. Sonada has thought about his feelings towards Evil. He wrote a blog post about it. He's uh, had a meditation and thought, yes, I should probably cause a disruption in Evil's life uh, and assaulted him. 
which is how you go about these things in Sonada's head. <laughs> and that resulted in this match at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Evil with Dick Togo, who took the best bump of the, the weekend, to be honest with you, off the apron, then elbow dropped himself through a table, <laughs> which was brilliant. It was just like, hey, bang. <laughs> it was so awkward, but I was like, look, man, if you're going to go through a New Japan table, you got to go through a New Japan table. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Dick Togo must hold the record for going through tables in Japanese wrestling. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I know it was never going to be a classic, considering the people involved. But I knew it was going to cause interest for Japanese fans who love Sonata and love Evil. And I knew it was going to be a big thing for the Japanese crowd. And certainly they got behind it in a big way. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, um, you know... Um, not to take anything away from the, these guys, but to me, I think the overall narrative more so leaning towards Sonata, like, look, you, a lot of his success came with Evil. You know, yeah. you know, obviously Evil had had enough of that because it felt like they was seemingly when they couldn't necessarily break out, they'd come back together and kill it. You know, a uh, great tag team with Evil broke out and, and went a selfish route and, and got what he thought he was old and had his run and now that's done. And Sonata was kind of left in the dust. And even before that, he was kind of, we talked about this numerous times where it's kind of like, okay, Sonata's trying to find this type of groove. And, you know, is he going to be the guy that's always almost a guy? And, you know, I think, you know, kind of like with Hiromu when he first came back, like, you know, evil has, evil was something that everybody had to deal with in their own way in, in LIJ. You know, so, you know, he's kind of faced everybody. And, you know, I guess everybody kind of exercised that demon, if you will, and our Sonata has. And not just that, he's setting himself up on the path because, you know, it's kind of kind of pissed to get off the pot at this point in, in terms of the narrative of Sonata. Because, you know, we've always talked about, like I said, you know, he's had these big moments and, and great little spots and everything, but he always comes up short. So now he seems more focused than ever. Like I said, he's out of the tag team thing. Evil's 100% on his own. Now Sonata is like, I'm not going to be the guy left in the shadow of evil in my own faction. You know, so I'm looking forward to see what he's going to do. But like you said, it wasn't a classic by any means, but it was good. And Dick Togo, man, like I said, uh, <laughs> you know, that, you know, you get a 10 for uh, for landing, you know. To, to quote Chris Rea, I would walk barefoot across broken flat, broken glass to plant flags in Dick Togo's shit. He's that good. <laughs> <laughs> he is an absolute God's gift to professional wrestling worldwide. When he, before this, he came here and did a couple of tours of the UK because he wanted to learn more about wrestling. Dick Togo wanted to learn more about wrestling. John, your thoughts? To be fair, just before, just on the Dick Togo bit, I was looking to IWTV the other night and they added a YMZ, which is like this little Japanese indie um, promotion. One of their shows, I think it was from Christmas maybe, had Dick Togo on it. And I'm just sort of like, he's still wrestling. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not in New Japan, apparently. He's been doing tag matches with Evil. He's been doing the big six and ten mans with Gato, like Gato and Jado do, you know, where they kind of turn up have a couple of minutes of stomping on people and get out again. But he's not doing like, you know, I'd, I'd see Hiromu Takahashi versus Dick Togo any day of the week, wouldn't you? Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, what what I predicted would happen happened with this match. I glazed yeah. over it bad for them bar the moment. Sonata got garroted, Dick Togo went to a table and the match was over. I can't yeah. really remember any of it. I wasn't invested in it and uh, this is the reason why I reviewed Night 2 on Steel Chair Magazine and John reviewed Night 1. <laughs> Basically, I I, yeah. I knew for a fact I wouldn't be able to stay interested in this match. And I, yeah. I, it's just too slow, too plodding, too methodical, too everything. It's just one of those sort of matches where you've got to sacrifice the match quality for the story. And yeah, it, I think... If it works for Japanese audiences, great. That's what they need to be focusing on since that's obviously the people in attendance, but it just couldn't keep me gripped. And I just find it funny that the um, angle this match went on to get started was just casual assault. Are you sure <laughs> Sonata isn't a heel? <laughs> uh, yeah, well... Uh, he, was, he was mean to me. I don't like him. Maybe I'll go assault him. He does look very nice in a suit, though. That's the most great heels. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Anywho, we'll move on to, oh my God, Taiji Ishimura versus Aruma Takahashi. You have to keep saying this. It's like this weekend was slow build to the main event on the last night, and it just kept getting hotter and hotter. And so, like, while Snyder and Evil was a nice little break in the action of intensity, here's intensity possibly the all-time ace of Noah versus the current ace of New Japan. And it's just, this is just so good. They just know how to push each other's buttons and make the best match possible every time. Ishimori is always going to be on the losing end, I think, because Takahashi is just on another level as far as junior heavyweights. In fact, he may be potentially the biggest star New Japan have. But at the minute, as a junior heavyweight, he is just unstoppable. And Ishimori is just such a mechanic. He can do anything you want him to do in a pro wrestling match. I've seen him a couple of years ago when he first started with New Japan. They came on the the UK tour. And essentially, he was the glue guy for the opening match to keep all the regulars of RevPro who were guesting on the tour in with the older guys from Bullet Club and made sure everything stuck together. He's clearly got a creative mind for a wrestling match. And it just works. These two are just absolutely phenomenal. And I'm glad we don't get to see them together often. I think they wrestled at uh, Best of Super Juniors final two years ago was the last time I saw these two wrestle. I would think that we did see them at the Best of Super Juniors this year because it was a one-block tournament. But normally they try and keep them apart. And it keeps this match special. And that's what's just great about watching this, these two wrestle. John, what's your thoughts on this junior heavyweight championship match? This was exceptional. It was violent, mechanical, well thought out, well paced. Showcased what both were capable of. It was just mental. And just a bloody five minute exchange of elbows for Christ. That was mad. (laughs) We've run out of energy to do all these running things. I'm just going to hit you in the face continuously. It was just so goddamn impactful. And the I dynamics of that. I feel bad Karen. for Shimori because he's like the most relatable champion on the world. Because, like him, in the post match comment, he's like, Why don't people like me? Is it because I'm short? <laughs> <laughs> oh. That is no, one of the realest things anyone has ever said in a promo. 
Yeah, he's just he's just so good at what he does. But it's the Dynamite Kid Tiger Mask thing, isn't it? Like Ishimori is the Tiger Dynamite Kid in this kind of feud because he isn't the chosen one because he's a Noah guy, you know, and he's not going to be the guy that carries the company for the long term. And it's just because Takahashi is just so so dynamic. Honestly, if Takahashi brought out some coloring books and sat down in the middle of the ring and started going in the lines nicely, people would pay to see it. You know, this this is how good he is, just being Hiromu Takahashi. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, man, like, you know, if I needed a cigarette after Cobb and Takagi, I needed to be held <laughs> after this. Um, <laughs> this was, this, you know, exceptional. Like, I don't know what uh, Uncle Dave gave this, but this, I, you know, you should have just gave this a just go, just just go and goddamn watch it. They just don't don't come to me. <laughs> just, just go freaking watch. Um, yeah, you know that's you know one hundred percent everything or more that you guys said about this because you know that's the I guess the beautiful tragedy of of this match is it's not that um, you know. Taiji Shimori is is Taiji Shimori is that he's not a Romu Takahashi. <laughs> and yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. But God damn it, if he didn't make you say his name, uh, oh. you know, know who he was throughout this match, like John said, them elbows, man, I I damn just sat back and turned into Jr. Like, by God, he's got a cat. Stop! Like, hell, <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're literally trying to kill this man. And you and you almost felt like all that animosity and that that animosity and that angst of, you know, not only have I been treated as the second fiddle in this whole thing as the champion, but I know I'm finna take the pin. So I got to, you know, damn to send this guy out on on a stretcher with a W. So yeah, yeah, man. If you uh it's if you don't watch either night fully and you catch two matches. Uh, you got to catch, you know, this and and Takagi and Cobb. You're gonna be likely damn near done by the time you get done with Takagi and Cobb. But you got to say whatever you got left for this, because this is, you know, premier wrestling, the best this division has to offer. And to see Takahashi back on top again uh, with the journey that he's had, it's always, you know, great. Like like James says, he's truly evolved into the ace of not only that division but the company. So. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is. I I have concerns that he might be six inches too short to be a true heavyweight. Yeah. Having said that, Eddie Guerrero was a junior heavyweight. Yeah, man. And he's Eddie level. He's that good. You know, I I didn't think as an all round performer, I think he would have trouble like doing what Eddie did, in the sense of like. He couldn't main event WWE. I can't. I can't. I don't think anyone in obviously Vince isn't. Well, we say this. I think. I think Vince might live forever. But if like I can't, I don't think anyone in WWE would sign Hiromu Takahashi just because they wouldn't get what he does. But he's certainly on that Eddie Guerrero. Great promo, great presentation, great match quality, risk taker, everything that Eddie was. And Eddie, I believe, was probably the best all round male worker ever. You know, he could do everything equally as well. I think that, you know, he, Takahashi could just go to the next level if he was a bit taller. And it sounds really nitpicky, but that's the thing. Can you 
I can see that match he had with Evil, he was exceptional. Um, but Evil's kind of not Kazuchi Kurokada, is he? You know, <laughs> can you uh, Takahashi in a card, or is it a believable thing if Takahashi could beat a card? I'm not sure he is at the minute, but give it time. We'll, we'll see. And now we move on to the main event and the whole effing show, as they used to say. Kota Ibushi defeats Jay White in an absolutely ungodly professional wrestling match. 48 minutes, 48 minutes and five seconds. This match just kept going and going, and there was false finish after false finish, and normally that would annoy me, but this was such an emotionally draining match that just you had to be bought into it. You could not get yourself away from it. I was absolutely hooked. The fans were on tender hooks. This was up there with the best matches I've seen from Japan, like the Masawa Kawada matches of the 90s. Jay White is a wrestling genius. Kota Bushi is a wrestling genius. If you put them together in the right circumstances, you can have a match that will just transcend what pro wrestling is. And this was one of those matches. And the fact that you got two of them in two days just is insane to me. Marcus, what's your thoughts on these two? Yeah, you know, it's uh, coming off of like what I just said about the, if you know, you don't catch, you know, matches from either night, you know, catch those, those other two I had just mentioned. Because the reason why I, I didn't get to this one uh, even before we got to it is because this, this really just felt like it was in a completely different universe at a certain point. Yeah. Like, it really was its own thing. And like you said, the fight for everything. Like, I was intrigued to see Abushi and Naito. Not because it wasn't something that I hadn't seen before, but because of the story surrounding it. But I needed to see this. Because, you know, and it's funny because I got a friend who you know, feels the same way about Jay White that, that me and James feel about Tai Chi. Um, <laughs> you know, this stuff is, is subjective, you know, everybody, you know, to each their own. But Jay White, man, when he's on, you know, there's nobody I'd rather have. Uh, you know, I got the, you know, the option is to pick 10 guys um, and be like, well, I really only need one guy out of 10 lineup. I see Jay White. I'm going with Jay White. <laughs> what this yeah. guy is going to do at his age um has been able to do uh in terms of success and to see him grow from where he was and i was watching this guy in ring of honor basically you know building the the, the blocks the way he is now this kid is on a completely different level and he's what in his early 20s he's 28 he's 20 i mean he's uh, this guy's on a completely different level and I'm even with the shenanigans of ghetto like you take that away, like, he doesn't need any of it. Like, he's just that good. And Kota Ibushi has always been on a completely different level. But the, this match really was a perfect storm. It was a perfect storm. Like you said, it, it, it went forever. And you was 100% invested because there's nobody that's coming to New Japan and has been more of a disruption that has spoiled more guys like Okada, like Naito, and God knows whoever else than Jay White. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the story on commentary, him going around and saying everything that he says he's going to do, he's done. And it's been some of the most disappointing losses that the fans have had to watch because while it's been bittersweet, you know and you've gotten to see just how good this kid is. So, yeah, 
you know, this 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 was beyond brilliant. You know, uh, I, I you know talking about now, I really want to go back and watch this because it it really was uh, like a like a new standard, you know, for this you know main event of this show. What's your thoughts on this, John? I I couldn't agree more. This this was exceptional, like just absolutely unbelievably amazing to watch. Like a lot of New Japan main events get this sort of hyperbolic sort of label put on them, like oh best match ever, must see, just blah blah. This match transcended most of that because it was put together so perfectly. It wasn't nearly fifty minutes of just straight up sort of violence. There was thought behind it. There was story in it. There was throwbacks, new things. There was just so much going on at once that it all melded perfectly. It kept your attention. You couldn't zone out for a minute because something would have happened. And it was it was just really damn well put together. I'm sad White didn't win it, but it seems to have opened some really weird story now in that he's <laughs> just given up on New Japan. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the really intriguing part. Should we talk about that after we talk about New Year's Dash, or shall we keep talking about this for a bit longer? <laughs> I mean, I've got nothing to add to New Year's Dash, so good. Okay, well, I mean, New Year's Dash was all right. It only really produced one story. That was uh, Billy No Mate's colonial uh, crew decided to beat Hiroshi Tenzan for no apparent reason. Um, so, <laughs> uh, to kind of give them some heel kudos, I guess. Um, and there was a cork in 10-man tag uh, between Chaos and Bullet Club. That was really good. My favourite, absolute favourite thing on New Year's Dash is Yue Uemura, who has a death wish, has been trying to wind up Minoru Suzuki for the best part of a year. And a new high was developed in their relationship because Minoru Suzuki finally finished off Yue Uemura with the Gotch-style pile driver, which he has up until now deemed him unworthy of receiving. But he went deep into the bag and gave him the pile driver and gave him a clap and was smiling at the end of the match, which means that he got beat up really well. So Yui Mori has, has now moved on from mild annoyance to actively hostile. And if I wanted any person on earth to be not actively hostile towards me, it's Minoru Suzuki. But there we are. <laughs> but the big news out of this week has been that Jay White had cut a promo after Wrestle Kingdom saying if he couldn't beat Coach Ibushi, he was going to quit. Now, he did turn up at New Year's Dash. He's still a contracted New Japan wrestler in the storyline. And that was on obviously on Tuesday when the match occurred. And then on Wednesday, the rumor mill started floating around that there was trouble with renegotiation of contracts and the WWE had put in a big offer for him. Um, and well, what do we think about that? Because really, from apparently what he told previously, according to the Wrestling Observer, he told AEW last year he couldn't sign for them because he'd signed a seven-year deal with New Japan. Which could mean this is all an angle and they're lying to us really, really well. Or it could mean he was lying to AEW. <laughs> Which doesn't really tell us an awful lot either way. My personal feelings are that he's sticking with New Japan because he's a loyalist, he's a company guy, and they've invested money in him. 
I don't know what you guys feel about it, but we'll start with John. What's your thoughts? I want it to be bullshit. Like, White's best home is New Japan. He's going to be one of their top stars within probably next year. I think he is their top star now, really. Yeah, but this is going to be his Okada redhead year, where he's just sort of like, oh, God, I've been completely broken. This is the first time I wasn't able to keep a promise to something. And he'll just um, sort of rebound from it, come back and kill everyone in his path. I love JY. I think he is probably the best heel on the planet. He is one of the smartest wrestlers in the industry at the moment. And it would be a really dumb move to leave New Japan. I... I agree with you. I don't think I don't think it's a dumb move to, new, to leave New Japan, but I think it would take an awful lot of money to get him away from New Japan. I mean, like backing up truckloads of dollars into his backyard, um, because I'm guessing he's probably on around about what seven hundred fifty thousand to a million dollars US a year for working two weeks on, two weeks off. Would he get that kind of double money in WWE? Of course not. No way. No. I mean, he would get more exposure. He would be a bigger star. But he would have to move to the States full-time again, which he's done before, and he's quite willing to travel. But I also look at someone like Kenta, who had five years there and spent most of it injured. The old rub that, oh, WWE's safer and New Japan's dangerous and it will shorten your career, I don't think holds true. Yeah, I don't think it holds true because they have two weeks on, they have two weeks off, they wrestle tag matches all the time, and maybe he'll have, what, seven big matches in a year where he goes over 20 minutes and the the real stiff ones like this one, maybe five. Mm -hmm. I suppose it... I suppose you've got the New Japan Cup and you've got um, G1 Climax, and maybe it's 20, but it's not going to be wrestling Monday Night Raws against Drew McIntyre every week, is he? Just look at the fact that their legends are still going. People like Kojima can still go. Tenzong can still go. Bloody Iska only just retired last year. They all had really long careers. And they probably did some horrendously dangerous matches. Nagata's still going after having people shoot, knock him out. It's like, you can claim New Japan dangerous until the clouds come home, but like, bloody, they know how to work. They know how to schedule. They don't have, I mean, WWE can't have stars on the road at the moment, and they probably won't have stars on the moment on the road. But like, I don't think, WWE audiences especially would appreciate Jay White the way mm. New Japan audiences, the way um, um, indie American audiences, the way Ring of Honor audiences appreciate him. Because WWE fans, I don't know, they just half the time don't understand what they have. Yeah, I think, all, I think there's also the point that his big... Um, strength is his ability to improvise and his ability to cut promos and he doesn't need any help and you know from an artistic point of view there is the point of he would be put in a box at the end of the day it's consistent income it's 
opportunities outside of wrestling. There's all sorts of things that are available in WWE that aren't necessarily available in New Japan. But equally, and for some people, this is really important, he gets to go back to Auckland and probably no one knows who he is and he gets to live a private life. Whereas if he went to WWE, that definitely wouldn't happen. We'll see. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, it's hard for me to to look at anybody with a straight face over here uh, off the pond talking about some of the 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 cons of going to New Japan when all I had to do was bring up C.J. Parker. Yeah, you know, like I don't, you know, it's it's yeah, it's you know that that like you said that that strong style and, and all that, but that's what these guys get into the business for like that competition breeds greatness and you're not going to find it better than in, in new japan you know we know it's, it's talent everywhere of course WWE has this, this incredible roster but you know that for the credible as the roster is as bad as their booking is um and you know with, with jay i think in terms of his statement i think the one thing that I, I certainly believed that may not be a a um falsity if you will was he was like because he's clearly in the best shape of his wrestling career, but he was like, "It's the worst I've ever felt," and I can believe yeah. that. You know, with, with the, the matches he puts on, the, you know, this guy doesn't hold back, and you know, uh, you know, he's not he's not wrestling, you know, Yano, um, you know, in, in these types of matches, like he's going up against, you know, Bush is going to take you to the limit specifically when he gets in that that death face stance. But uh, yeah, one hundred percent believe that. So I mean, I think he might may very well need a break. But I don't know if coming going to AEW or WWE is going to do him any favors because he is the guy that he is because of that New Japan environment. He's been allowed to thrive as a heel in so many different facets because of you know the the freedom in which he has in New Japan. Like that audience probably can't stand him, but they love seeing him. And a lot of times with, you know, the audience over here, particularly with WWE audience, they only appreciate some of these guys just because of they're in the WWE bubble. And then they don't think they can, you know, thrive outside of it or, or need it when they don't realize that a lot of these guys were probably better long before they came to WWE. And, uh, you know, but it's just it's kind of like a hive mind uh, in that regard. But, yeah, um, I'm hoping, like you guys, that, you know, he's kind of just – Tugging at the boat because it's, it's vintage. This version of Jay White to be like New Japan failed me, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, so hopefully, like I said, the guy takes a break. You know, it's earned. Now, I'm pretty sure you know a lot of people need a break even after coming back off of the pandemic. And uh, you know, he comes back like like uh, John said, maybe in old kind of sense, or maybe with a new uh, reinvigorated sense of I need to screw people even harder now. You know. I mean, I will say this when it comes to safety and how safe the working environment in New Japan is. Tetsuya Naito spent most of 2019 legally blind in one eye. And he wrestled his way to the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. He couldn't do that in WWE. They wouldn't let him. But the fact that A, Naito is so ridiculously tough and an out-of-this-world worker to protect himself so well and the guys looked after him like with kid gloves in 2019. It's a much, I think it's a safe work environment. I think that old argument, oh, WWE is a safer style. No, they're not hitting each other as hard, but also they're not doing it on three nights a week either. And I think that's the issue. I think 
I think it would be interesting to see if he's signed a seven-year deal with New Japan. That was a very smart thing because it guarantees his money. And it also means that when he's 35 and he's pretty much done all he can do in New Japan, he's going to be an even bigger star. And then maybe, maybe he'll go call Triple H if he wants to. But he literally has the wrestling world at his feet at this moment. And we haven't said enough about Coach Ibushi either. This has been a long journey. You know, we talk about um, Coach Ibushi surpassing God, as he said in his final promo, as he as he shook hands politely with, say, Sonata to say, accept his challenge. Well, yes, I would like to have a professional wrestling match with you at some point in the future. Um, I think that's the thing. He has become God, but he is that good. He has become this all-encompassing professional wrestler that is, you know, just that good. And there's always going to be talk about the Golden Lovers and Kenny Omega and, and Coach Ibushi, who's better. I don't know. At the minute, I'm thinking Ibushi's probably got the edge on, on Kenny right now. And I think that'd be an interesting story to tell. We'll see what happens in the future. Any further comments on Wrestle Kingdom weekend, John? Just watch it if you haven't. Skip what about the skip the shit bits and watch <laughs> the two main events, the junior heavyweight match and the openweight match, especially because they are all highlights of just how good New Japan can be. No matter what you've sort of thought about their booking over the previous year, they struck hard with Wrestle Kingdom and Made Magic as they always do. Fair enough. I, I'm looking for you to write a review with that, with that as that one day. Watch this. Miss this bit. Watch this. That'd be it. That's your review. That'd be cool. Marcus, have you got any final closing thoughts on Wrestle Kingdom week, end week, days, time? Uh, you know, like, um, agree with John. Uh, <laughs> coming off this, this show, I would actually pay money to see him actually be on commentary for, for one of... Uh, <laughs> Lots of matches just for the commentary. <laughs> to be worth it. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm just I'm going to certainly appreciate them splitting it up into two nights. Um, you know, the commentary was was great on all ends, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just great wrestling. I mean, you know, we talked about it, you know, all year. You know how this company has persevered through the pandemic, and uh, you know, really showed and proved what you know would have the roster and. You know, so many different challenges that we've all experienced, but specifically companies that have actively been trying to maneuver, um, you know, doing so. And uh, they, they've done a phenomenal job. In fact, they once again set a, set the standard yet again for the year in terms of wrestling shows. Just, you know, uh, shows how committed they are to the, you know, to the art form that is, you know, wrestling. So I'm just happy, you know, to be a fan and, a, you know, to say I've, consistently gotten to see this stuff year after year and uh just look forward to seeing what they pull off for this year indeed very much so it did just remind me as well we were meant to mention the minefield that is um the new covid curfew over yes. in japan yeah this is true this is going to be interruption for all the major companies and the minor companies as well um uh, they have got uh, a lockdown because they've they pretty much don't want to go back to where they were a year ago, obviously, because it's, it's pretty serious. And the new strains of COVID are very virulent, as we know. Um, this puts into jeopardy the big show in February for Goshi Izaki versus Kiyoji Muto for the GHC Heavyweight Championship in Noah. 
it puts into jeopardy the start of the 10th anniversary show at Budokan Hall Not as well. Not necessarily, because if I remember correctly, the rules specifically ask for shows. You're allowed up to 50% capacity, and you have to be done by, I think it's 8. It's either 8 or 6. So providing they follow those rules and start earlier, which great isn't beneficial in the slightest but that's what DDC <laughs> already started doing same with TJPW and things like that they're literally just like fine we'll start earlier so be it <laughs> I think I think yeah I think that's the that's the thing it's um yeah it, it's in follow I want to say put in jeopardy I mean we didn't when we at the time when it came to New Japan Pro Wrestling like when when New Year's Dash had finished we didn't know what the new curfew was going to be they hadn't announced it yet. And the announcers, Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton, were talking about this may be the last time we speak to you for a while. Um, you know, and kudos to, to Kelly, who had to spend 14 days in isolation, which means, you know, he missed Christmas with his family to go and commentate on a wrestling show. And kudos to him for doing that and for the wrestlers that had to come in from abroad to do it as well. It's not easy. You know, it's, it's been okay for the Japanese residents, like to accept to Zack Sabre Jr. It's not been okay, but you know, it, the fact that they did that for our entertainment, they're doing a job and they got paid. But this is a hard business on families, as it always has been. Uh, but it, they did it for for very good reasons, and they wanted to give the best entertainment for the company that they could, and I, I think that's well deserved. Uh, applause for them for doing that. But yeah, it's a different world in which we live in. But I think New Japan are probably best at doing this kind of thing. And the other Japanese companies I've seen have had better shows, COVID-based shows, than I think any of the North American companies have. But that's maybe personal taste to me. I don't know. You've See what you think. You've not the ICW shows. So. <laughs> no, true. That is, that is a good point. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to us today at Wrestle Kingdom and our review. I'd like to thank Mr. Marcus Green for your time. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? Uh, thank you, man. Always a pleasure. You can find me on Twitter at ParadoxKid. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. Always uh, like chatting back, back and forth with uh, logical, sensible people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad you classed us as that, Marcus. Thank you. I'm Mr. John Dinsdale, the master of death. How are you, sir? And thank you very much for your time today. I'm happy I hit my QAnon history, otherwise Marcus wouldn't have talked to me. <laughs> All right, then. Where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter, the edgiest Twitter handle you will come across. I say that, but it probably isn't. That is the gateway to hell for all of my writing, my opinions, my steel chair takes, my deathmatch takes. And yeah, just keep posted for there because there is some cool stuff coming up. Indeed there is, as there always is in this wrestling journalism business. I myself am now off to go do the Wrestling Rewind. You get double me this week. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Dave and Dara about their year-end awards because uh, they, they got to do the Troopany Show year-end awards a bit later than we did because um, they wanted to do it in the new year, whereas we did it for the previous 12 months. So mine are going to sound horribly out of date because an awful lot's happened in the last month, but we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk our way through it. Take care. I don't know what we're going to be talking about next week because we haven't decided yet. Probably something old because we've talked new wrestling for a long time. And I think it's time we went back to the old stuff. So take care and we'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs>